0: Perhaps the hardest part of a difficult conversation is getting it started. In this episode, Kwame Christian returns to show us the way into the toughest situations. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 497. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host. Dave Stehoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. One of those kinds of conversations that leaders have all the time is difficult ones. It is something that all, all of us are really learning to get better at all the time. The more we can get better at having difficult conversations, the more effectively we can lead others, the more work we can do that's good work for our organizations. And of course, the better we do at influencing and driving our own careers. I'm so glad to welcome back to the show a dear friend, also an expert at negotiation, Kwame Christian. Kwame is the director of the American Negotiation Institute and business lawyer at Carlisle, Patchen, and Murphy. His popular TED talk is titled, Finding Confidence in Conflict. And he works extensively with organizations to help them improve their skills on negotiation and conflict resolution. Kwame hosts the top negotiation podcast, Negotiate Anything, and is the author of the book, Finding Confidence in Conflict, How to Negotiate Anything and Live Your Best Life. Kwame, it is great to have you back.
1: Hey, I'm glad to be back, my friend.
0: Well, you know, it's a time of difficult situations, not only with all the normal things that we're dealing with in organizations, but of course, COVID-19, and so many challenges and changes uh, over this past year. And today, I thought we'd revisit a little bit some of the conversations we've had before, but more importantly, actually dive in on some of the practical questions that have come up. And we've pulled a bunch of questions from our listening community to respond to, and also to tackle some of the current things that are happening. And of course, one of the things that's happening is COVID-19. And I saw that you posted a article recently with this question, can you negotiate during a pandemic? Which is a question that some people have been asking. And what got you thinking about writing this article?
1: Yeah. So it's funny. LinkedIn directly asked me... (laughs) post on the topic. Uh And and that's why they said, Hey, a lot of people are having a difficult time when it comes to these negotiations. They're not advocating for themselves and they don't know how to. So can you focus your content on that? And so I, if if LinkedIn asked me to do something, I'd do it. (laughs) And um, that's that's how it ended up happening. And so that was actually our, our first LinkedIn newsletter that we posted. And it, started to trend on on LinkedIn news, and I think we hit a nerve because people are really struggling with what's changed when it comes to advocating for yourself in these difficult times.
0: Yeah. And so to maybe spoil the ending a bit, the answer is yes, that you can negotiate. But let's back up a little bit before going into the tactics of what has changed.
1: Yeah. So we have to analyze the situation. With any negotiation, we have to figure out the context. What context are we in? And so it's going to be different for different people. And so when we're in a difficult situation, we often adopt a scarcity mentality. And that gives us tunnel vision. We focus on the threat. And so to use a very visceral example, if you are in a situation where you're being robbed at gunpoint, it's easier for you to draw a picture, a very detailed picture of the gun, but you couldn't draw a very detailed picture of the face of the perpetrator because you're focused on the threat. And so bringing it back to negotiation, we're focused on the threat. We recognize that we're in one of the worst economic downturns in in recent memory and because of that there probably aren't very many opportunities so i need to be very grateful and cling to those opportunities that i currently do have and i'm not going to take the risk of asking for more because maybe they get mad at me and i lose my opportunity and so that's really what holds people back when it comes to these uh, difficult conversations during a pandemic when it comes to advancing your career we're so focused on the threat we've are so focused on the risks that that mentality prevents us from doing what we need to do in these conversations.
0: And I have fallen victim to this too, Kwame, in my past. And the tendency that I tend to think is, well, I should be really grateful for what I have because so many um, are struggling and others haven't had the opportunities that I've been privileged to have. And so I should be grateful for that, and I should not ask for maybe what I need or would command in the marketplace or even deserve. And that thinking can be troublesome for us. And yet it's been hard for me to move past that on an emotional and a human level. When you talk with people about this, how do you help them to frame that at a time that is really difficult?
1: Well, the reality is that gratitude is important. And so I don't want people to, to leave this saying, Kwame said to not be thankful. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you need to still be grateful for the opportunities that you have. But uh, again, we need to recognize very clearly what the challenge is. And of course, the obvious one is the pandemic. The obvious one is the the economic downturn. But the real challenge that we need to overcome is the mentality. And just giving words to that, being able to express what that challenge is for yourself internally will help you to be able to circumvent those those obstacles so you can then try to perform at a higher level. And so when I'm talking to people, I try to shift their focus because like I mentioned earlier, their focus is on the risk. Their focus is on the threat. Let's focus instead on the opportunity. Where is the opportunity? What are your unique skills? where, what is your market rate? What, how are people valuing you in the market? And so when you start to think more objectively and start to focus on potential opportunities, then it helps people to be more willing to engage. And really when it comes down to it, the, the strategies that you're going to utilize, the tactics that you're going to utilize are going to be almost identical to what you would do in a normal situation. The only change is that you're letting the other person know that you recognize that these are difficult times, and you're not asking for something naively. You recognize that circumstances have changed. But other than that, more or less, the strategies remain the
0: same. Okay, so I want to ask you about something else that's, I know, a topic that has come up in a lot of workplaces, and it probably is going to come up in more organizations in the not-distant future. Leaders are being called in to mediate conflicts between employees on the topics of race because that's a very important and complicated topic right now that is, is getting a lot of attention, as it should, and also politics, because there's a lot of political conversations going on right now. And in some cases, leaders find themselves needing to intervene in those really, really difficult situations that show up in the workplace. As you've been working with organizations and leaders to help them think about those, what kind of mindset's helpful and, and what's helpful tactically also? to handle those really emotionally charged topics.
1: Yeah, this is there's no easy way to handle this, but I think one of the mindsets we need to adopt is first the the willingness to prepare. One of uh, Martina Navratilova's quotes that I like the most is everybody has the will to win, but not everybody has the will to prepare. And so when it comes to these difficult conversations, you have to prepare. And so if you go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash guide, you can download free negotiation guides that include salary negotiation, like we discussed before. Also, how to have difficult conversations about race. And now that I'm having this conversation, by the time this podcast airs, I will have one on how to have difficult conversations about politics. Oh, but especially nice. if you see this coming then you can take the time and think through how I should have the conversation. What should I do? What should I say? What if they say this? Then how will I handle it? Thinking it through is one of the easiest ways to improve your outcomes.
0: So let's take politics as an example that does tend to come up, especially at this time, given election cycles. If you perhaps think that this might be an issue in your organization, or it's come up before between parties inside the organization, what's a helpful starting point around preparation.
1: Yeah, when it comes to preparation, I think we need to set the tone for the conversation. What is the goal of the conversation? Because a lot of times that's not very clear. When it's an emotionally heated conversation, we have to ask ourselves, why am I having this conversation? Why are they having that conversation? Let's be clear on what our goals are here. Because sometimes after we go through a little bit of introspection, we recognize oh, my goal is just to be heard. I'm frustrated. I'm mad. I just need somebody to hear me right now. Or maybe my goal is a little bit more sinister. I recognize that this person thinks differently from me. And I think that the person that they are supporting or the beliefs that they have are problematic. So I'm actually trying to make them feel silly. I'm trying to make them feel bad and guilty and shameful about the way that they think. If you recognize that in yourself, should probably try not to have the conversation, <laughs> I think. Simple guideline there. If you recognize, hey, my my intentions really aren't that pure right now, let's hold back and, and save it. And here's the reality. We as humans, we are tribal by nature. When you think about the psychology of how we interact with each other, we are going to be drawn to people who think like us, and we're going to repel people who don't think like us. And part of that tribal mentality is not just being pro-social towards the people who are with us, but also almost trying to tear down other people. That's the fundamental psychology that we have to work against. And so I think going through that introspective process helps us to figure out what our true goals are. And really, when it comes down to it, Our primary goal in any of these conversations is to understand the other person. How can I get a better understanding of how they see, think, and feel about the situation? That's empathy. That's empathy. And when you think about these really heated dialogues, the rules are really the same as any other type of negotiation or or a difficult conversation. But we need to be a lot more mindful about maintaining our form in these conversations because the ramifications could be more serious because of the level of emotionality in these conversations. But as long as we take the time to check ourselves, to make sure our, our intentions are pure and first start off trying to understand the other side and empathizing with them, it'll set the tone for a much more productive dialogue for the rest of the interaction.
0: I really appreciate what you said a moment ago of thinking about checking ourselves. And that's super hard a lot of times for us to do when we're in the heat of the moment. And I think, you know, for those of us who have ever been in a situation of mediating a bit, a conversation between employees or other folks in the organization, you know, everyone feels like they're acting rationally, right? But they don't necessarily see that objectively in themselves, like what they're trying to get out of the conversation. So I'm, I'm hearing you say two things is one is getting clear on what's the outcome I want from this conversation, but also coming in with the intention to understand. And I'm wondering where to start with that. So if I'm, let's just say I am a leader who has somehow gotten involved in a conversation between others in the organization that are having a disagreement and something political has come up or a race, what's a starting point for having a dialogue that's productive?
1: Well, if you are brought in in the role of essentially a mediator, a third party neutral, as they say we have to think about the approach that we want to use. And so when I was mediating, what I like to do is use shuttle diplomacy. And so with Shuttle Diplomacy, what we're doing is we're talking to each party individually. And for me, I enjoy doing it that way because it allowed uh, the other party to feel a little bit more open and trusting of me. And so they shared more information, whereas if I had them all together, they might feel compelled to attack each other. Unless we forget the reason that you have been brought in as a third party neutral is because they couldn't talk to each other the right way from the beginning. I and so I, I like to use shuttle diplomacy, get to understand the other person, uh, figure out what their goal is, those type of things, and then go to the other side and do the exact same thing and then take some time by myself to figure out, all right, where is the deal? Where does it exist? And really what I like to do in my general negotiations is, is try to use a mediator's mindset and filter everything through a mediator, what what an internal mediator as to what the person would say. So for instance, if somebody says something that's really vitriolic in my mind, what I would do is I would say, all right, that was really harsh. <laughs> what they really meant to say was this. And so when we're actually playing the role of mediator, what we do is we take the messages that somebody says to us directed to the other side that are harsh. And then we communicate it in a way that's a little bit more palatable. And then we try to prompt them to come closer to each other and calm down a little bit more emotionally. And then once you get to a place where you've made a little bit of progress, the parties are coming closer together, then you could try to bring them together and have that conversation. Because especially if we're in the workplace scenario, the reality is we're actually on the same team. It's not like a case of litigation where you have been forced to do mediation and you may never see the other person again. Since we're on the same team, we need to learn how to discuss things with civility and work together to maintain that team cohesion. So even if the parties really start off at the beginning, speaking very forcefully and harshly toward each other and you can calm them down, you eventually need to get them to that place where you can almost coach them as to how to interact with each other going forward. And I think that's really the process that puts you in the best position for success because it makes it less likely that somebody is going to say something that they cannot take back in the heat of the moment at the beginning when emotions are
0: high. Okay, this is really helpful. And I'm thinking about this just in the context of other situations in the workplace because one of the things I've often advocated, and I'm sure people have heard me make this recommendation before, is you know when people are having a conflict or disagreement, I'm often making the invitation of, like, well, let work on, see if you can work on resolving it first. Like, I might help that person think through it, but then to send that party back to then work it out with the other party. The distinction I'm hearing you make here is that's not worked, <laughs> right? Like, this is a really <laughs> heated situation. And this may be a place where you do that shuttle diplomacy. So you talk to each party individually first so you can then do some thinking. And you said something really key there that I'm, I'm curious about. You said, I, I want to figure out where the deal is. Tell me what you mean by that.
1: Yeah. And so this is my uh, negotiation mindset (laughs) coming together because here's what ends up happening. I want them to tell me everything, everything that could be pertinent, that 100% is pertinent, that they think is irrelevant, but who knows, it might help. I want to get as much information as possible. And then I do the exact same thing with the other side. And so the thing is, usually there is some overlap usually there is some overlap. I'm trying to figure out what is an acceptable solution for both sides. Now, this is the tough part because I don't want to just come in and say, hey, Dave, you should do this and then go to the other person, Mary, you should do this. Um, That's too prescriptive because they can't really take ownership of that outcome. And so what I want to do is I want to figure out where the deal could potentially be, get that outline for myself, and then go back to each party asking open-ended questions that is that are geared toward leading them toward that potential outcome that is workable for both sides. But I want both of them to take ownership of the process. So even though I might come up with a deal that works and I, I might recognize that within, let's say 30 or 40 minutes after talking to both of them, I'm willing to take one hour, two hours, a couple days more, and have them get to that position themselves so they can take ownership of the outcome. Because then they leave the interaction feeling a sense of confidence, recognizing, listen, no, I, I did this. I played a major role in coming to this solution. I was actually able to work with the other side to come to this solution together. And because I see myself in the deal that was created, the deal becomes more self-enforcing. The commitment that they've made becomes more self-enforcing because they can say, no, this is my deal. It wasn't forced on me. This is my agreement. And it makes it more likely for people to adhere to the, to the commitments that they've made.
0: All right. This is great. So let's dive in on some real specific situations. I reached out to our community and a few folks shared these questions with me. So let me share Kylie's first. She says, the difficult conversations I'm involved with have to do with providing feedback to someone about their behavior or having to tell someone their behavior is not up to performance expectations. I often see managers avoiding these sorts of conversations because they're hard and they don't want to offend or they're scared they'll be labeled as a bully. I'm curious what strategies or tools or advice Kwame has that would give to managers to help them feel more comfortable to have these difficult conversations. Kwame, when you get questions like that, and I know you get a lot of them, where do you invite people to start? Well, the first framework that
1: I use for all of my difficult conversations, whether it's at home or at work, a business negotiation or a mediation is something called the compassionate curiosity framework. And so the three steps of the framework are first acknowledge and validate emotions. Step two, get curious with compassion. And step three, joint problem solving. And so with joint problem solving, we're working together to try to figure out what a solution could be. With getting curious with compassion, we're asking open-ended questions, but doing it with a compassionate tone. And then at the beginning, acknowledging and validating emotions. That's what we do when we recognize that there might be a potentially problematic emotion presenting itself. And that helps people to calm down. And then the validation part is just letting them know it makes sense that they feel this way. And we're not condoning their behavior or agreeing with what it is that they're saying, but we're recognizing, yeah, your emotions are real. And it makes sense that you feel this way, given the way that you're perceiving the situation. And so let's bring this to the realm of feedback, giving feedback, and because this is tough. It is a conversation that is almost awkward <laughs> by design. Yeah. Um, and so the fact that you feel a little bit uneasy in these conversations, that's normal. It's not an indictment of you as a leader. So I think that's important because we have to normalize this experience to recognize that it's a shared experience. It's not just you. And so again, the goal here is to make these difficult conversations a little bit easier and the framework allows us to do that. And so what I would do is I would make sure that the conversation is scheduled. So the other person doesn't feel like an ambush. It doesn't feel like you just are surprising them with this information. Let them know that you want to have a conversation about their performance over the last uh, few months, and and your goal is to try to figure out a way to make sure that the team continues to function well, and in the business continues to to work well as as well. And so then you have the conversation, and you just start off by framing it appropriately, letting them know what your goal is. Let them know that they're a valued member of the team. And your goal is to help them to become better and that's it. And you want to have a conversation where you can go back and forth where they're participating in the dialogue and you could work together to, to figure out what you can do next. And that's when you give the the performance review. This is when you let them know this is where I wanted you to perform or this is where we agreed you would perform or something like that. And this is where you currently are. And you just want to stick to the facts as clearly and succinctly as possible, and then you just open it up and just say, tell me about your experience here, tell me um, what I could do to be more supportive or help me to understand what challenges you've experienced. That's getting curious with compassion. In their response, you might recognize a little bit of emotion. Yeah, it, it seems like this has been a really tough quarter for you. And, and that makes sense. It's, it's been a tough quarter for everybody. This pandemic and the shift to virtual has been really difficult. So that's acknowledging and validating the emotion. And so you go through asking more questions, making sure you're doing it with a compassionate tone. And then you say, All right, well, what can I do as a manager to help you during this situation? This is when we're transitioning toward joint problem solving. We're inviting them into the process of solution, of of creating solutions collaboratively. And so just following this framework at least allows you to have a little bit more control over the conversation. You can anticipate what's going to happen. And if something comes up that's a little bit challenging, you know exactly what to do to address the situation.
0: I love all of that. The only thing I'm curious about more is the very first step, because the challenge so often with these conversations is that they don't happen at all. right like yes. there you know even a conversation that isn't executed perfectly often is better than than not addressing it at all and one of the things you suggested is that we schedule it and mention that we're going to have a performance conversation and i suspect that there's some people that would hear that and say oh, wow you know i'm going to tell someone a couple of days in advance we're going to have a performance conversation and i'm going to really make them fearful about that conversation How do you frame that? What's the benefit of scheduling it and saying that in advance? I'm just kind of curious how that plays out for you.
1: Yeah, because I'm thinking about it in terms of a negotiation type of situation and how people can um, react when they're caught off guard. And so when you think about it, this is really a negotiation. And the way that I define negotiation is anytime you're in a conversation and somebody in the conversation wants something. And so here, what we want is we want behavior change. We want them to adjust the, the their performance level. So it, it qualifies as a negotiation, but we also have to understand what it is that they want. They want respect. They want to feel as though they're a valued member of the team. They might want support. We have to consider that going into it as well. If we make the mistake of just kind of popping in or calling them randomly uh, to have the conversation, the challenge is that they are going to be a little bit surprised. And that often leads to defensiveness. At least if I give them a heads up, they have some time to process and think through it. And so I don't need to work through the added emotional element of shock or or, or surprise. Usually if you're in a negotiation, bringing it momentarily to like a business negotiation situation, if you ambush somebody with a negotiation, they're going to be two likely outcomes. Either number one, they're very, very defensive and they, they don't engage. And as a result, you don't accomplish anything or they are fearful and they say, okay, yes, they capitulate, but they didn't really mean it. It wasn't a true commitment to what you you decided on. And as a result. Commitment on the back end isn't that great because they never really, truly were on board. They just did it as a way to end the conversation quickly. And so I think even though, yes, it will most likely create a little bit of anxiety for them, that level of anxiety is more preferable than the defensiveness that you would run into if you ambush them.
0: You know, I'm I'm thinking about that of situations that have happened to me in the past and also situations I've been involved in when someone was ambushed a bit. And it is really hard to like, as soon as they know all of a sudden, like, wow, this conversation came out of nowhere. It's really hard to move past that initial emotion. Almost always there ends up being a second or third conversation anyway. So why not preempt that a bit by, yes, it's going to be a bit uncomfortable, but allowing someone to work through some of the initial emotion So they can come to the conversation with a little bit of a clearer head and be ready perhaps to listen a little better
1: absolutely and think about this too one of the the things that i've recognized over the course of my career is that one of the most satisfying emotions you can give somebody is relief (laughs) it's that feeling of relief and again, we're giving people a framework to have the conversation more effectively. We're making it less awkward and less difficult for you and the person on the other side. And so most likely they're going to come up with a list of horrible things that they think it might be. And the conversation isn't going to be nearly as bad as they think it is. And they end up feeling more relieved in the in the process at the end of it. And again, something we could do is we can make sure that they don't feel as nervous or as anxious by framing the email or the initial conversation really positively and you just say listen i've really appreciated the time that we've spent together you're a valued member of the team i'd like to have a conversation to talk about what we've been able to accomplish together over the last uh, over the last six months and some things that we could potentially do to to make things better that works too and the way and framing it positively in that way will diminish the level of anxiety they'll feel going into the conversation
0: Okay, super helpful. I've got another question here from Sari, a very different topic. She says, I work with creatives, artists, and creative professionals, many of whom who are freelance workers. Often, my job is supporting them to develop negotiation skills when developing exhibitions and projects, agreeing to contracts and fees, and working with marketing and the press. Creatives often have a double challenge, first to have a very nuanced conversation with institutions and organizations about their content, which takes time to comprehend, And often the artist reserves all their energy fighting that battle and in a way that they think is going to be most beneficial for them. But then they forget to effectively negotiate contract and fees and boundaries. She's wondering if we have any suggestions for creatives who tend to be highly sensitive people on feeling a bit more in control of their destiny.
1: Yeah, this isn't easy. This isn't easy. And I think this is one of those situations where we can start to leverage technology in our favor. And so I've started to do a lot of research on how to negotiate online and the different pitfalls that are in front of us and potential opportunities. Because whenever you think about people, when they talk about negotiating online, everybody's focused on the negative. Very few people talk about the positive. And if you are that person who is very creative and also very highly sensitive and you struggle to set those boundaries and negotiate effectively in those more transactional portion of the interaction, what you might want to do is take that portion of the interaction and make it more online, depersonalize it. And for some of my clients, and this sounds strange. Taking that transactional nature and putting it via email is easier for them because otherwise, if they're in person, their agreeable nature makes them want to give the other person what they want. So there's less resistance during those instances. And so what I would do is I would try to sequence the negotiation in this way. First, I would use the compassionate curiosity framework as a tool to learn more about the other side. What is it that they want? What are the things that they want to avoid? Why do they want those things? And so we're going to get curious, ask a lot of questions, gather that information. And then the the guideline that I would give to these people is your rule is that you can't commit to anything over the phone. You always say, all right, give me one second. Let me, let me think about this. I'll get back to you within the next 24 hours over email. And now you don't have that pressure during the conversation to commit to something because different people respond differently under pressure. And if you know that your sensitive nature will lead you to give up more than you should, then you have to recognize, let me take the decision-making process away from this pressure-packed moment so I can think through and give a response that is more in line with what I need in order to defend myself in this situation. So I think taking that decision-making process and the more transactional portion and putting it online and using email as a bit of a buffer can help you if you do it in the right way at the right time.
0: So you're separating those conversations, essentially. Because they're they're really different, I would think. Like that creative conversation about content and what is art going to look like and how are we going to show it? And then the more transactional conversation. So by separating them, you're able to do both better. And the other thing that I'm hearing you say here too is you can slow it down. And that's something you've been a great teacher to me on is sometimes one of the best tactics we can use is to take an hour, 24 hours, slow something down a little bit, rarely do we have to commit to something absolutely in the moment, and if we're willing to do that, a lot of times we can come back thinking a little more clearly, and in this case, doing something in writing that might give us the chance to then be a lot more objective about it.
1: Exactly, exactly, and that's the thing too. I mean, the the conversation where you're talking about things that you're, you enjoy talking about, have that in person, have that over the phone, have it over Zoom. You, be you. (laughs) That's really easy. But you're right. Taking the time to slow down is the best way to handle it. And if your goal in that conversation, even as it starts to get more transactional is to just say, listen, I'm using the light theory. My goal is to just turn on the lights, learn as much as I can learn as much as I can, and then just keep on learning. And then I, I I let the person know that I appreciate their candor. I appreciate their willingness to share some information. I just need some time to think about it and I'll get back to them. Usually most people will not say, no, Dave, answer me now. <laughs> That'd be very bizarre, very bizarre. And so usually when you inject a little bit of time into the decision-making process, people are going to respect that. And you can pre-think this. You can think about those times where you need to pull back. And so you can be really smooth with that transition so it doesn't feel to the other side like you're trying to run away. It just seems as though it's a natural, organic progression of the conversation.
0: Okay. Last question is from Allison. She says, I have a really difficult time dealing with conversations where people just get unprofessional, nasty, scrappy, erratic. When you try to talk calmly, then they mow over you. (laughs) over you with something else that's out of left field. She says, with peers, I can pause the conversation and tell them we'll come back to it later. But when it happens with a senior executive, I don't know how to handle it. And I have important things to contribute, but I can't get in award edgewise. How do I raise the conversation to a principled professional level? Kwame, hard to do when it's someone senior to you in the organization and, they, and they're not behaving in a good way. When you've run into this, uh, what have you found that works?
1: Yeah. And th- th- again, this is a really tough one. This is a really tough one. And this is an opportunity to use the compassionate curiosity framework, especially if it happens in the moment and you feel caught off guard. Usually if somebody is trying to mow over you, <laughs> they're there is something emotional that is compelling them to do so. Um, I know for me, I'm, I'm a really chill guy, Dave. You know me, I'm nice. You are, but I'm, I'm, you are. I'm, I'm, I'm really competitive and I am really sensitive to time. And so I can get really impatient sometimes. And I know sometimes I just, I can rush people. Um, because I am I really just want to move forward. And so let's say hypothetically, we're dealing with a leader who is impatient. Maybe that's the thing that's causing them to, to really try to mow over you because they just want to make a decision and move on. What I would say is this, I'd say, listen, it sounds like the challenge we're having is time. It sounds like timing is really important to you, right? Yeah. I, w- I just want to get this done. Yeah. It, and it sounds like the longer we take, the the more frustrated it, it, it makes you. Yes, this has been taking way, way, way too long. Yeah, that makes sense. I know for the sake of the business, we need to move forward quickly. The problem is, and so Dave, this is the transition phase because we don't want to transition with but or however, because that erases everything that you say mm-hmm. before. That makes it more difficult for the person to accept what it is that you're saying because it's interpreted negatively. Uh-huh. So I like to transition with the problem is For me, in order for me to be effective and contribute to this dialogue, I'm going to need a little bit of time to make a good decision. I can give you a decision now. I just don't think it would be a good decision. And so if you're willing to give me 5, 10, 15 minutes to to think through this a little bit, then I can give you a better decision so we can move forward without having to go back and change things because we didn't make the best decision in the moment. And so you see how you address the emotions. You acknowledge and validate the emotions. And then you can transition by stating what things are based on your experience. And the thing is, you're framing it in the con- in, in terms of your personal experience so it can't be denied. Where they would say, no, if you just go faster, you make a good decision because I know your brain better than you. Not, not a very reasonable response, right? And so I think that's what I would do in those situations. I would try to, in- again, inject some time, but first acknowledge the emotion because that super aggressive behavior is going to be driven by some level of emotionality and if we can label it then the person can say yes maybe i i want a faster faster decision but it's clear that this person understands me and that gives you a little bit more grace in the conversation and dave here's the thing that's if you're in a situation where you don't see it coming if you do see it coming we need to start negotiating sooner and so what I mean by that is we have to talk about the agenda. What is the agenda that is most favorable to us as it relates to the way that we make decisions and and how much time we need to, to think things through or how much time we need to contribute. And so the the sequence of the meetings, the procedures of the meetings, those are things that are negotiable. And so you could just before a day or so before the meeting, just say, Dave, listen, I'm looking forward to, to chatting with you based on our previous conversations, it sounds like the things that we need to discuss are A, B, C, D, right? And let's say in the past, it would just be A, B, C and your boss would just lead the discussion and and quickly go through A, B, C. But by adding D to the list, That helps you with your situation of not feeling as though you have the time to get a word in because now you've actually scheduled it (laughs) into the the procedure of the meeting. And so then when the meeting comes, you already have your time allocated for yourself. You've given yourself a little bit of space there. And I think trying to pre-negotiate a little bit of a a few of these issues makes it less likely for you to uh, experience it to that level during the conversation.
0: Kwame Christian is the host of the Negotiate Anything podcast and is the author of the book, Finding Confidence in Conflict, How to Negotiate Anything and Live Your Best Life. Kwame, I so appreciate you tackling these questions from our audience, my friend. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dave. if this conversation was helpful to you several others you may want to investigate in our library one of them's episode 149 an astronaut's guide to life on earth my guest on that episode was chris hatfield former international space station commander astronaut pilot musician and just a talented voice on leadership and careers we talked in detail about that in episode 149 he also has a ted talk which is why i'm thinking about him on the distinction between fear and danger. It's a fabulous TED Talk. Just Google Chris Hatfield. You'll find it. Uh, And it's really a a wonderful examination on how many of us, (laughs) me included, tend to fear the things that are not necessarily dangerous, and yet the things that are dangerous, not always are we fearing them. Episode 149 is a good introduction to his thinking. I'd also recommend episode 344, The Way to Have Conversations That Matter with Celeste Headley. Celeste is a public radio journalist, a host on NPR for many years, and has written a book, also has a very popular TED Talk out on how to have better conversations. In episode 344, we examine some of the key tenets of good conversations of how to lean in into those difficult conversations like we talked about today it's a great complement to the conversation today with Kwame episode 344 is that one and then finally the uh, one of the previous episodes Kwame was on we talked about how to find confidence in conflict and examine some of the key principles from his book that's episode 380 also with Kwame Christian enjoy that as well. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you have not already, set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. It'll give you access to the entire library, searchable by topic, plus my weekly leadership guides coming to you every Wednesday. In addition to that, all of the notes from the books of folks I've interviewed, including Kwame's book, is up there on the website. You can track that down in the book notes section, plus the member cast's the free audio courses, my own personal library where I database everything I'm finding online. So if you're looking for a great article or a credibility piece to use uh, in front of a staff meeting or perhaps with a client, start there. It's a wonderful database that's ready for you with lots of great resources over the years. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Bonnie back to the show. It is our monthly Q&A episode. If you have a question that you'd like us to consider, Go over to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback to get that into us. We look forward to considering it for next week. And I'll see you back on Monday with Bonnie. Take care, everyone.